Right, welcome to episode number 52 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on January 26th, 2020. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3, EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to help uh, help themselves and look after each other for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name's Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has focused me towards safety above all else. I teach first aid and coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade and have worked in this physical security industry for more than 20 years now. And hello, I'm from Canada's East Coast. Uh, my name is Hughes and I reside in Nova Scotia. Uh, I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter and station chief, and also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to a varying degree for the last six years or so. And this was born out of necessity to ensure the short-term survival of my family, which includes three young children. Hey, my name is Tyler. I'm broadcasting from my five-acre homestead here in Northwestern Wisconsin, USA. Since purchasing my first house, I've been working to turn my property into a self-sufficient homestead with an emphasis on preparedness. Right. If you want to help uh, support the show and keep the uh, Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, you can buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at prepperpodcast.ca. All the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Canadian Prepper Podcast. Submit a review on iTunes. It helps us get our message out. We also want your feedback, good or bad. If there's a topic you want us to cover, send us an email, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And thanks for some of that uh, feedback. I think uh, we've made some changes to the audio, so uh, hopefully this uh, this episode here will be a little bit better received. So thanks mm -hmm. for all the feedback we got uh, for the last couple of episodes. Hopefully... Uh, Hopefully you can hear us this time. Uh, and we've got some uh, radiating content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic for this episode, uh, nuclear accident preparedness. Let's move into some news articles. Uh, one here from the National Post. Um, if, in case you were living in the dark, um, Newfoundland got a bit of a dumping of snow over the last couple of weeks. They got... 37,000 feet and then another 15 feet on top of that a little while a couple of days later uh, which of course made it rather challenging to get supplies in and so what they've seen and what has been reported is that a lot of bartering has happened um, according to this article a lot of butter is the hot commodity and is going for a whole lot of alcohol so um, if you are in Newfoundland um, stock up on butter for the next for the next big one yep <laughs> uh, so Ian uh everybody's noticed is not uh, with us this evening uh, he's, out, uh, he's got some bills to pay so he's working uh but he's got a couple of articles in here uh one again if you've been living under a rock you uh, haven't heard about this but uh, the rest of the prepper community certainly has uh lockdown mode in china so that's uh starting to happen they're starting to lock down uh areas with the uh coronavirus uh and uh, panic building of a hospital in uh, six days which I just can't see it going well. I really can't. No, mm -hmm. no. six day it's built, day ten it falls over. I, I mean, it, oh, I just I just don't understand. I mean, it it took it took a month to set up tents in Kandahar. How are they building an actual? How are they building a thousand bed hospital in a week? Uh, very I, fast. I, I know. 
but it is what it is. It's their uh, problem, not ours. Yeah. I just hope it doesn't fall over. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it does what they want it to do. Yep. Uh, right. And he's got another one here. It says, uh, the government says, don't panic. So likely, uh, kidding, sort of 3% lethally, uh, the same as Spanish flu. Uh, but travel is way more rapid, unlike 1919. So mm-hmm. uh, it's from the, the Business Insider. So I mean, it, we have we also have. I'm I'm still taking this with a grain of salt because they're saying three percent lethality, which is cool, but we also didn't have the same sanita- sanitization options or understanding of the morphology of viruses and stuff that we did yeah. in 1919. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm guessing that this is actually going to be a whole lot less than it, than than what they're predicting. But of course, if they don't have something to call doom and gloom about then they don't have something that they can take control over so then they're not selling ads exactly right but i think with this is that there's no there's no vaccine there's no known cure either right so it's basically just supportive and um like supporting the respiratory therapy of the patients there's also no known vaccine or cure for the common cold and it Mm -hmm. doesn't have that kind of lethality because we've got because we have the we have the immunity built up to it so that's what i'm saying i don't i don't think it's going to be as bad as they're as they're predicting but uh boy it sure does sell newspapers doesn't it sure does yeah yeah as we're recording here on sunday night the u.s uh, we've only got five confirmed cases here um two in california one arizona one in washington state and one in chicago and all of those are people who have traveled to or from wuhan within the last week or two so that makes uh, sense same thing with canada there's only as of the time of recording of this show there's only one confirmed case in toronto from um a f- male in his 50s that traveled uh from wuhan uh back to toronto so mm-hmm. um the the two things that struck out to me though is uh one is i heard that the mortality rate could be as high as 15 percent, which seems to be exaggerated um but we'll we'll see as the numbers kind of come out i don't really trust the numbers coming out of mainland china so i'll, I'll look to see yeah. um other countries um as they're reporting i seem to trust yeah. the us and canada more and uh just finally um the ro or the ability to infect others um apparently it's as high as 3.6 to 4 which means for every infected person you can expect three and a half to four people to be infected compared with the uh, common flu which is like 1.2 or sars which is like 1.4 so um rest is see how well this virus can affect others compared to others epidemics we've seen i'd also be curious to see if they could weigh that mortality rate in wait wahoo wahoo whatever it's called wahoo. wahoo if they could weigh that against air quality and respiratory mm-hmm. system health because i'd be willing to bet that there's there are other mitigating factors and, and if we ha- and if there's already immunocompromised mm-hmm. then of course their mortality rate is going to be higher that's a good well, point. Yeah, we don't know who the uh, fatalities are so so far. Like, are they people that are um, sick? Are they people that are like elderly? Um, or is this basically, you know, healthy thirty to forty year old men and women? We, we just don't don't know yet, right? So, yeah. um, we'll have mm-hmm. to wait for that stuff to uh, come out. I guess time will tell. Another another thing with it too is the the incubation period. I was seeing ten to fourteen days. You can be um, contagious but not show any symptoms. So. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you can also apparently, again, uh, speculation, but you can also infect others without having uh, shown any symptoms yet means that quarantine is, is virtually useless because you'll have people right. infecting others before um, yeah. they show the first symptoms and before they can be tested uh, and put into quarantine, right? So, Which, I mean, is, is normal. I mean, usually we're, we're infectious for three to four days before we start showing mm-hmm. symptoms with the common cold, which is also a coronavirus. 
Um, so it's not it's not shocking that that's the case, um, but it just means that we need to not touch people for a while. And frankly, I'm okay with that. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, just yeah. practice your basic flu and cold prevention. Avoid travel. Uh, wash your hands regularly. Practice good hygiene. Mm-hmm. Cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze. <laughs> um, yeah. Go out in public with purpose. So get your shopping done. Get out of the store. Don't wander around. Order everything from Amazon and then let it sit for a week in a, in a safe area before you open it. There you go. <laughs> Don't order your N95s from China, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that doesn't come from China, though? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. It's, it's going to be tricky to find things that don't come from there, but... Yeah, I think the message we're trying to get across right now is just status quo up your level a little bit of uh, of preparedness. You know, bump up from whatever DEFCON level you're at to maybe the next one up and just start preparing, but don't be rushing out and clearing the shelves of anything and everything you can think of as of yet. So, stay tuned. No, but I think it's too. it's good to just <clears throat> um, stock up on some some more staples like uh yeah. pantry staples um also yeah, for absolutely. medicine like anything that can reduce fever with or in in adults or kids we know that uh, fever is one of the main symptoms of this um so just just stock up on that stuff just make sure that, yeah. that you've got enough for a few weeks right yeah absolutely yeah uh, tell yeah. you had a few uh, news articles to cover off yeah yeah but uh news article from the u.s news and world report uh the headline reads scientists inch doomsday clock closer to midnight citing both nuclear and climate threats um so just to go in a little bit about this uh the bulletin of atomic scientists decide when and where to move this clock um, midnight symbolizes the end of the world and uh, they now set the doomsday clock to 100 seconds till midnight and this was just on i believe it was thursday um that's it, and- yeah yeah, so the, the clock is uh, meant to, quote-unquote, warn the public about how close we are to destroying our world with dangerous technologies of our own making. And the last time the world was considered this close to metaphorical destruction was during the U.S. and Soviet Union nuclear arms race in 1953. That's interesting. So wow. higher-ups are definitely taking note that uh, that's been uh, <laughs> an exciting start to the year, I guess, to put it, uh, put it nicely. <laughs> it is what it is. Yep. So I've got uh, I've got in my uh, my notes here as well the uh, the doomsday clock being pushed ahead because we can't have a prepper podcast and not talk about that. Right. Uh, and we've got um, one uh, one news article was emailed in by a uh, listener Hank uh, in regards to uh, vodka being traded for butter. Um, again, that's uh, the St. John snow uh, snowstorms there and just the bartering that was happening and going on. Um, opened up a couple of good discussions in some of the uh, little Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups and little chat groups that I'm in in regards to, you know, yeah, that's cute and fuzzy right now, but uh, just remember down the road that as, uh, as things deplete, it, uh, it'll go from bartering to taking. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's good to see that uh, that bartering is still around and it was happening there. So that was good. Uh, and uh, he mentions here as well, he goes, I'm about two hours outside of Toronto, uh, but if uh, Toronto got three feet of snow in one day, they'd be... Uh, uh in shit town for a while (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Yeah. he's uh he's not wrong uh and hughes you got some news articles yeah so for mine uh we've already covered it it was just that the uh the china uh or sorry the chinese are building a 1000 bed hospital in six days um we've seen the pictures we've seen the videos um so again i don't i have no doubt they can do it i mean you know the the whole makeover show is building a house and a uh, matter of seven days with only about a hundred people. So um, we'll see what they can turn around. But again, I I, uh, I question the um, 
uh, the ability for that building to withstand they're, any. They're not carrying uh, concrete in that time. No, just no, throw it out there. No. And also, it's not just that; it's actually staffing it. Um, that'll that'll rest to be seen how they can get um, that level of of you know doctors and nurses and administrative staff um, to run a hospital that size, especially one where all the other hospitals in the region are apparently overwhelmed uh, by the situation at the moment. So. Right. We've got uh, a question here in the live chat uh, from Mohammed. Uh, it just says, hi, folks. Uh, already ordered some tools for my survival kit from China, uh, and it's on the way. What should I do with it? Oh, good let question. It, let it sit for a few days. So all, all germs need a host to live. Uh, so if, you, if, there's no, if there's no host, if there's no living organism, it's going to die off. Theoretically, the transportation from there to here should kill, should kill all of that. In the event that it doesn't, spray everything with Lysol, wipe it down, or bleach and water 10 to 1. Uh, sorry, 10 to 1 water to bleach ratio. Um, spray it down, wipe it off. That's going to kill off anything else. Um, and then if it smells funny or looks funny, just don't touch it. Yep. Some good advice. Mm -hmm. Start with the outside packaging. Decontaminate that, as, yes. decontaminate that first. Do that outside. Do it in a designate a dirty area to lay down and we're going to talk more about this in the next episode yeah. um, but decontaminate it out, outside so you're not so you're not bringing it into the house um, and then step away from it and as you the closer you get to your house the cleaner everything should be so that finally the inside the inside contents are, are the the cleanest and have the least ability to touch the outside stuff yeah yeah your your main thought's going to be to bring that new package inside and start dealing with it mm -hmm. nope deal with outside. it outside yeah. Yep. All right. So let's move right. into what we've done lately for preps. Tune in next week for the rest of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to do a whole episode on uh, coronavirus and updates and all kinds of fun stuff about it. So, uh, so I guess I'm, I'm up first, I guess. So one of the things I've done is I stocked up on N95 masks. Um, I had about um, 20 or so. So stocked up on that uh, nitro gloves as well as some hospital grade uh, sanitizer. They're not uh, black, are they? the, what's that? Sorry, they're not black, are they? No, <laughs> don't, wear, don't wear black gloves. Black gloves are stupid. Yep. No, blue, blue and purple. Um, yeah. I've replaced the HEPA filters in our exchanger. Um, I was overdue to do that, so I might as well do it now. Uh, continuing to make homemade spirits onto my second batch now. Um, I'm storing it at about 95% ABV or about 190 proof as a neutral spirit, so it'll last pretty much forever. Uh, and then I'll cut it uh, with distilled water as needed for consumption or as a racing fuel. Um, I bought a new drone, which is a Mavic Mini, uh, which is great for uh, covert aerial surveillance. And because it only weighs 249 grams, it is not subject to Transport Canada drone regulations, which are only for drones that are 250 grams or over. Um, also purchased the Max Tracks uh, for my truck, which are basically long plastic boards. Um, you know, if you get stuck in uh, mud or snow, you stick these in front of your tire. Uh, the truck will uh, use them for a purchase point uh, to get out of uh, that safe situation as far as some more rigging gear. So like a 40-foot toe strap, some D-rings, um, axle straps, and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of continually building uh, my, my preps. Nothing like 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 over the top but yeah that's what i did in the last week or so awesome uh for myself so um obviously with the uh running rapid survival i've had quite the influx of people asking for n95 masks and asking for information about them um, so i did a whole bunch of research into them um, 
fairly basic uh, as far as how they work and how they operate. But uh, I did a bunch of research as far as where I can get them from. And uh, my current supplier, uh, as I went to go purchase, is warning that they're uh, they're depleting their stock. So they're, they're actually rationing who's getting what when they order. And they're looking at past orders and all kinds of stuff. So I'm trying to figure out where else I can source them from. Um, so ended up just being the, uh, the source that I get them from now. So a uh, whole lot of work for nothing, but oh well. Uh, and then I started started making up my DEF CON list. So uh, based everything off of our last episode there, and uh, I've slowly started making the checklist a little bit uh, different than what I had before. And uh, then I got out to the range. Haven't been out in, in a while. So I got out on Saturday for the day and uh, put some rounds down range, and it's a good day. Always is. Yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, last week I got a VPN subscription set up with Keep Solid, thanks to Eric's Facebook post on the Canadian Prepper Podcast Facebook page. Um, so for 35 bucks, I got a lifetime uh, lifetime subscription, and that, that'll cover up to five seats or five devices. Yeah. Um, so I've got the laptop, my cell phone, and the wife's cell phone covered now. Awesome. Um, another thing I did... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just said awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Um Another thing, signed up for USCCA uh, concealed carry insurance here in the States. Um, started another life insurance policy through AAA. And uh, had some fun this weekend. Went out bunny hunting with uh, some friends for a local gun club competition. Um, only got three rabbits, but we're looking forward to those up for the Super Bowl party next weekend. Nice. And nice. Um, finally got my, my beater backup truck back on the road today after replacing the steering shaft. So. Now, steering oh. is important. Least, yep, <laughs> yeah, <there's laughs> nice for me uh, so by comparison i've done absolutely nothing uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything that i've done for the uh for prepping has been in the last uh, for this week has been in the last 36 hours um i've been i got a new uh new first aid bag for the for the home kit the old one was uh, about 15 years old had some tears and had lived a good life and um so i got a new bag got one on a on a, at a pretty good deal on uh at a trade show on Saturday, and so we kind of transferred everything over there, uh, which was kind of fun, and maybe we'll do an unpack of that on a future episode and kind of talk about what we keep at home for, for emergencies. Uh, did some car maintenance, uh, rotated some food supplies, added a few more added a few more days worth of food storage, uh, food to the storage area, um, but I've been working on, a, working on a training program that's taken up a fair bit of my time this week, so that's, uh, uh, that's been my week. Thanks. All right, let's move into the main topic. So I guess uh, right, right off the top, we need a quick explanation. Uh, so after a nuclear blast occurs, uh, the concern is over the fallout. Um, obviously, the blast is, uh, is something you got to worry about as well, but the, the fallout is what's going to be uh, uh, the big issue. So it's a, it's a complex mixture of uh, fission products, um, or also known as radioisotopes, uh, created by splitting atoms. Uh, the decay is rapid and they emit a gamma radiation. Uh, it's an invisible yet highly energetic form of light. Um, so exposure to that radiation will damage the body's cells and its ability to fix itself. Um, and the only thing that's really going to protect you is a dense, thick material. So like many, many feet of dirt or um, like inches of lead. Um, that's what's going to reliably stop the gamma radiation. Um, so that's a, a quick explanation as to what, uh, what you're up against when it comes to a, a nuclear type of event. Uh, so with 
that, um, we'll just the, open the discussion in the panel. The other thing to remember is that anytime that anytime there's a nuclear detonation, there's also an EMP or an electromagnetic pulse uh, yeah. associated with it. And so, uh, we did an entire episode on that back a little while ago, didn't we? We did. Uh, yeah. What happens? What happens when an EMP goes off? So uh, go back and listen to that because that's that's the other threat. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, there's there's a there's a lot that happens, um, and the big the biggest challenge is what is at risk. Um, so depending on where where those particles land, right? So that where that fallout lands, um, that's going to be that's going to kind of just tell you where the where the risk is. And so the the higher the higher up in the atmosphere a detonation occurs, the greater the range, but the lower the density. So that, that there are a lot of um, a lot of variables. Yeah. So fact, just uh, on that, um, if there's a, a release of nuclear material, um, like I'll use Fukushima as an example or uh, Chernobyl, um, just for anyone listening, there's no EMP that happens with that release of material, right? We're talking about like a nuclear explosion is when the EMP mm -hmm. occurs, right? Yeah. Okay. And the, you're going to have two two kind of main things to think about in a survival scenario like this. The immediate aftermath of the blast, so you got the nuclear fallout, that's going to be the most deadly following the blast. But then you've got that period of disarray as well, where there's that widespread crisis uh, that's bound to ensue, where everybody starts to realize, uh-oh, we, uh, we weren't ready for this, and now what do we do? And they start running out and trying to find all the things they think they're going to need to survive for the next little while. Uh, so your your best bet is going to be sheltering in place unless you've got that nuclear blast uh compound set up or you've you've dug one out in your backyard somewhere uh, which i suspect most of our listeners have done uh right everybody's got a fallout shelter at home yes yeah i would, I would yeah. say yes i did but <laughs> yeah. yes no maybe i'm not gonna say improvised uh, but uh, <laughs> for those of you that are lacking the shelter your best guess is going to be the basement that's going to be as good as it's going to get for for taking cover assuming you've got a basement at least you're underground somewhat uh but just keep that in mind as well. I'm happy that I mm -hmm. bought a house built on a slop now. That's great. Yeah, but how far are you from any realistic? So area? I looked that up. Um, so the closest, um, well, first of all, I don't think anyone would nuke uh, Canada's East Coast. There's not much here to do. Um, but if you look at the closest nuclear generating station is Point Lepro, New Brunswick, which is about 245 kilometers um, as a crow flies. I don't know how, what that is miles, probably about 180 miles, I guess, 170 miles. So that's was one of my questions to the panel is, is a, you know, 245 kilometers, about 180 miles. Is that a safe distance for um, like a release of radioactive material like you've had at like Fukushima, right? Um, in yeah. terms of in terms of direct exposure, yes. Um, the challenge comes again from the fallout being carried by waterways, for example. So, um, if you've got if you're down if you're downstream, um, that can be more of a challenge than the actual than the direct exposure. Got it. And I mean, understanding so. Um Point Lepro is in something called the Bay of Fundy, which is part of the Atlantic Ocean. So um, directly affected by the waterway, no. Um, so so I should be relatively safe in that I, sense. The theoretically, again, unless unless there's a unless there's a significant explosion that happens along with right. uh, that, that release, uh, you should you should be fine. Right? The, that that stuff travels like the the actual release of material um, of gamma radiation only actually travels something like twenty feet on its own. Okay, uh, it's when it's being propelled by 
shockwave. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's when it becomes a challenge, and and that's where you get all those variables, right? Depending on where where that's where that release happens and which way the wind is blowing and all that stuff at the time. That's I did um, want to research that before the show. I did feel a lot better. Well, um, I wouldn't say a lot better, but the fact that Pickering is only about uh, 20 miles from downtown to Toronto. So um, mm-hmm. the yeah. fact that I'm a lot I'm, closer you know, than people realize. 12 times that distance is a little bit more comforting, right? Well, yeah, and I mean, they, those those plants are built where they're built for a reason, right? So 20 miles from downtown Toronto is um, is still theoretically a safe distance, right? They, when we had that really, they had that, that fake emergency release, was that two weekends ago or last weekend, whatever that was? Yeah, two, um, yeah. They were, they were cautioning people within 10 kilometers, which yeah. is what, um, 16 miles? One point, no. No, goes the other way. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, which is which is really not that far, right? In a, in a normal release, yeah. ten kilometers is the is the potentially is the potential hot zone, right? And that's mm-hmm. um, that's really not that far, you know. Where yeah. I am, where I am, I'm I'm two fifty, almost three hundred kilometers from Bruce Nuclear, and now I happen to be downstream, which is a little bit more concerning, but. Um, in terms of direct exposure, I'm in pre- I'm in pretty good shape. Right. Yeah, and just to build on that a little bit, and through my research, I was kind of referencing uh, Nuclear Energy Institute and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and both of those uh, both of those corporations or institutions they they kind of have a 10 mile emergency evacuation zone, and then uh, another 50 mile zone within which food products and livestock, water, all that stuff can be monitored. So. Yep. So I would say if you're within 10 miles, uh, that's definitely definitely within range to be thinking about this for sure. Going the other way, 10 miles is 16 kilometers. I'm, I'm sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure going the other way, but it's 16 kilometers. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. I mean, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of potential. So the closer you are, of course, the more dangerous it is. Um, being prepared for direct exposure comes down to um, time just time distance and shielding all of radiation is time distance and shielding so um, several feet of earth as we as we discussed a few inches of a few inches of lead uh, which is the big one and then the um, the distance of course we've just we've just covered that you know if you're with if you're not within 50 miles you're probably okay um, but there are the other thing to be aware of is that there are, there are a whole bunch of different kinds of radiation that already exist in the world and not all of it is all that dangerous um, so we're we're talking about gamma radiation, which is you know the the really bad stuff. Um, ionizing radiation is is in there are four different types. Um, that's kind of the dangerous stuff is ionizing radiation. The non ionizing radiation is the stuff that's on the on the the visible light spectrum, and that's um, it's not such a big deal. But alpha and beta radiation are what we what we're regularly exposed to. You know things like X ray machines and normal normal atmospheric conditions that stuff is not such a big deal um, alpha radiation for example can be well is stopped by the layer of dead skin on your on your body right the, a layer of dead skin or a sheet of paper will completely block that stuff so the only the only challenge is ingestion and inhalation uh, so understanding what's what's being released is is a big part of understanding how to stay safe absolutely it is mm-hmm. uh, and then neutron radiation which is like the really bad the really bad stuff is, uh, I mean, just light a smoke and enjoy your last few minutes. But 
Tyler, what do you've got? You've got a lot of notes in here, so take it um, away. Yeah, okay, so some of this that I'll say is going to be U.S.-specific, but uh, the underlying tones are kind of all the same. So so just to throw out a few stats, across the United States, there are 96 nuclear reactors, um, and nearly 3 million Americans live within 10 miles of one of these operating nuclear power plants. And uh, another thing, too, is so you do live within that 10 miles, you're actually going to receive... Um, emergency information materials annually. So that's going to be evacuation uh, protocol, those kinds of things. Um, but I guess just, just going through kind of my thought process on this, um, first thing to do is just determine your distance from the nuclear plant. We've kind of talked about that. Uh, I've got a link here in the show notes from NEI. Um, and that that's an interactive U.S. map. And that'll show just for the guys in the states, you know, whether there, there are plants in your state or not. Uh, otherwise, just Google Google Maps, um, search nuclear generating plant near me, and it should pop right up. Um, so based on your proximity, and another thing I would take into account is possibly the prevailing wind. And then, you know, given the day or time of the, the situation, um, current weather conditions, because that's going to obviously make a, make a huge impact on where that radiation travels. Um, we talked about the, the 10 mile kind of evacuation zone, and then 50 miles, um, you're still kind of on... Uh, you're not out of the clear within 50 miles, but if, if you're farther than 10 miles away, um, your best bet is to bug in, stay home, hunker down. Um, so I guess that's kind of, that would be my plan. Um, cause I've got, I've got two plants actually somewhat near me, one say miles straight South and I've got another one 90 miles straight East. So, you know, given a typical uh, meltdown scenario at either one of these facilities, I'm, I'm staying home. I've got a two-story house with a walkout basement, so that's going to be surrounded on earth by all three sides. Um, and then, you know, just kind of going through, if, if it were to happen, first thing I'm going to do is move all my supplies down to the basement. I'm going to use plastic sheeting and duct tape or gorilla tape to seal off that, that final exposed wall. And uh, I, I guess hang tight, use communications to stay up to date, and obviously have all the other basic stuff in order, food, water, meds, that kind of stuff. Um, the only problem that I've been having, and maybe you guys can help out, is is getting fresh air into that space. And mm-hmm. during uh, summer, if it's warm, uh, I guess my thought was to open the door on the wood-burning stove and then seal off like a furnace filter around that. But is a furnace filter, is that enough to filter out those particulates? Or Well, it's not, like, the, the thing about radiation, like the fallout, is it's not airborne. Okay. It 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 doesn't it doesn't just exist in the atmosphere. Like it it lands on a a surface and stays there. So the first like your first twenty four to thirty six hours is the big deal. After that, it's as long as you're not wandering around kicking up dust outside, then it really shouldn't be that big a deal. As long as you're not directly exposed to to it. Right, and I think the biggest thing is if you are exposed to cont- contamination is to get those clothes off of you uh, immediately and wash yourself down. Um, that's going to do a lot in terms yep. of protecting yourself. Absolutely. The, uh, the, 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 ra- like, the radiation suits are essentially thick tarps that are right. properly sewn and sealed. Um, so the more, the more stuff you can put between you and it, the better. Um, one, of the, one of the things to look for by the way, kind of as an aside, one of the things to look for when you're assessing whether something has been exposed to radiation or not, mm-hmm. uh, if it's warmer than if it's warmer than you you expect it to be, without an apparent heat source. 
there's a good chance it's radioactive. Okay. So if you're, good to know. If you're <clears throat> if, when you're when you're assessing whether something has been exposed or not, if it if it's warmer than it than it should be, then that's that's a good a good sign. Yeah. Did and did anybody cover the potassium iodide pills? No, I was just going to say if we want to talk uh, the KI pills for a second, well, that's the, the number one thing that uh, the prepper community usually runs to. He jumped. He jumped off on us tonight. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's that's usually the, the number one thing uh, when you mention nuclear that uh, anybody in the preparedness community jumps to is, oh, yep, yeah, I got my uh, my KI pills. I'm ready to go. Uh, are they going to help you? Yeah, down the road, they're they're not like your your number one thing that you're, you're okay. You know, all of a sudden there's been uh, whether there's a, a leak or an explosion or a bomb or whatever the scenario may be, um, your first step isn't going to be the the pop the KI pills. It's going to be to lock your place down, right? Um, mm-hmm. From from what I've seen research wise, the the KI pills come into play um, when you're starting to ingest um, like food, water. Uh, and you're having exposure after the fact with that fallout, that's where you want to start um, with the KI pills. It's not going to be your your primary, okay, something's happening, just start popping those. It's uh, That'll be secondary in your plans from from what I've seen research-wise. Yeah, and all, uh, all those pills do is they kind of fill up your thyroids, is that correct? Yeah. And then they're yeah, not so able they to stop, absorb uh, radiation. Yeah, exactly. They stop your thyroid from from absorbing the the radiation, so you're, it's not going to get damaged. So, are they? Do they have a, a place? Absolutely, they have a place. Mm-hmm. And are they important in your in your plan for a nuclear type of event? Absolutely. Uh, but your number one thing, if something does happen, is not going to be to run out of the house and go looking for them. Um, you should either already have them in your stockpile of things for your for your preps, um, or wait until you know that forty eight seventy two hours goes by, and the fallout is kind of drop to the ground and then figure out a way to, to move to find them. But uh, yeah, if you, you've got some in your preps, then yeah, they're, they're good to have, but they're not the uh, the magic pill that's going to solve. They're not going to make you invincible, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Now, is there any harm to taking those if you're not exposed to radiation? Let's say you thought you were, but you actually weren't. Is there going to be any ill you know ill effects from taking them? It, it does I'll, I'll start. I'll cover that off first with uh, we're not providing medical advice. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not medical advice. I'm not no. a doctor. What I do know is that if your thyroid isn't working properly, that it's not a good scene for you. It makes life a whole lot harder. So something that stops your thyroid from working properly would theoretically make your life more difficult. So I wouldn't yeah. recommend doing that uh, just for kicks. It's yeah. it's we're, you're trading you're trading something bad for something worse. Uh, so your best bet is to have a uh, have a, a properly functioning thyroid, and yep. if you need to temporarily block that function in order to save your life, then that is the that's where those KI pills come into play. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be taking the pills unless uh, unless I had a reason to. I, I wouldn't want to test them out. I guess right, one of those right. don't take them for a test drive first things. So mm-hmm. that's that's a good point. Um, I mean, aside from the pills, I was thinking, what if um, somebody looked to you, um, acquire like a Geiger counter, counter um, yeah. and two things. One, understanding how to use it, understanding how to measure um, and how the absorption rate works, right? Because um, typically it measures by absorption over time, I think, and there's limits set out to what you can absorb. But the second one would be, you know, don't just buy the thing, put it in your... Um, your your stockpile of, of preps and then 
um, like like away you go. I think I think most important would be to understand what the average or you know normal background radiation is for your area, so that you yep. have a base level reading. Um, and then if there is a nuclear emergency, the next time you go out, you could say, okay, so this is a little bit higher than it was prior to uh, when I measured like six months ago, but it's not that much yeah. higher, right? Versus if you go out and you don't know what the normal is, um, you're not going to have a reading from which you can base your, um, what, what, what you're seeing, I guess, right? So Yeah. Yeah, we almost go back to all our previous episodes where we say, you know, use your gear, know how to use it, practice using it and get a feel for it. Yeah. Same thing, knowing your environment, knowing what's normal is really important in any kind of scenario that you're planning for, but a scenario like this, especially knowing what normal and what your baseline is. So if something does happen, you can pick out, oh, this is actually, this isn't the way it should be. Um, kind of gives you an idea that, um, hmm, and one thing, one thing I've seen attention. is that uh, somebody had bought a Geiger counter. What they were doing is like once every month, they were going outside of their house um, and going to six predetermined points on their property and measuring mm -hmm. the level of radi radiation to each one of those sites so that they could not only get a baseline for different parts of their property, but also getting um, something over time that says, you know what, this is the baseline over the last 18 yep. months. So if there is a nuclear emergency, they could say, you know what, this is just slightly elevated or there's been no change. Um, so probably I like a it. good idea. Yeah, yeah. Because the, other, the other thing to be aware of with, with a Geiger counter is it only measures radiation when it's in contact with the radiation. So if you're going, if you think there's a radiate, there's a bit of radiological release and that there's, there's stuff on the ground that you need to know about you need to be thoroughly prepared for that before uh, before you you go out there because if you go out and discover that radiation levels are significantly higher then you've already been exposed to it yeah that's what the fngs are for um you yep. send them out the cannon uh, <laughs> so no, just, just stay out there for a while but a very important task for you yes yeah. <laughs> so uh transport uh, canada guru's got a good point here in the uh the live chat um, there is a website um, that you can go to that'll show you all kinds of different effects from nuclear blasts and it'll show you you know if uh if a bomb were to drop here where the fallout would be and, and all kinds of different little things so a uh, fun little site to play around with um, i don't know the 100 percent accuracy to it but um be fun to, fun to goof around with. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do we got? Show notes. Um, should we talk about just maybe some basic supplies to have on hand uh, that are going to come in handy? Or? Lots and yeah. lots of water. Don't rely uh, on yeah. yeah. all, all the basics, food, water, beds. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah really, like your, your preparedness for this is going to be no different than anything else that you're really planning for, aside from a few little things for sealing off windows and such, uh, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, anyways. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of those supplies are going to come in handy too for, yep. you know, virus, plague, pandemic, that kind of thing. So, so it might be a worthwhile investment to have these on the shelf because they do serve multiple purposes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the first thing is, is plastic sheet rolls. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, seal, seal areas off. Something I, I remember reading about years ago, if you're going to bother with plastic sheeting, then take the next step and actually pre-cut that plastic to the right size and then label it. So that yeah. you can deploy that sheeting to the right windows at the right time, uh, and have multiple rolls of tape, so that you can have you know two or three people taping off at the same time, and um, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, just pre pre cutting it, uh, you know, six inches bigger, uh, and then even I mean even practice making you know use painters tape if you're just doing it for kicks because you don't want right. to wreck your house, but. Yep. Um, 
practice putting it up so that you can do that in an emergency uh, mm -hmm. without tearing the tape, without tearing the, the plastic and things like that. Um, and then uh, once you've got everything taped up, go around and do a second layer because two is one and one is none. So mm -hmm. do a second layer all the way around, overlap it so that you can uh, you can ensure that you haven't missed anything. Uh, but also look for you know make sure that you're sealing everything right. If you have a uh, if you have a fireplace. Right, you mean you'll you need to seal that off, but you also yep. need to have a positive pressure ventilation out for your for your heating system. So mm -hmm. um, there are there are lots of considerations there, but secure as much as you can. Right, yeah, and that's a good point to have everything pre-cut and and labeled, and because you you get the time and you can slow down and you're not in a rush. Everything labeled. If you bugger something up and doesn't fit right, you can recut it and. Time is not of the essence at that point. Um, yeah, the last time, last thing you want to be doing when a uh, fallout happens or an explosion or a leak or whatever the scenario be, may be is panically cutting things out to fit in certain places. That's uh, that's not going to go well. So and then, and then take it one step further and actually stack them in the order of deployment. So the yep. first window that you're going to come to from wherever you're storing it, the first window that that sheet is on top and then you're you, you can leave it there move on to the next one deploy them all and then you can go back and tape them or tape them as you go whichever but um don't don't have to don't have to look for it and don't have to try and figure anything out when you're panicking i like it <clears throat> yeah uh, some other stuff maybe spare furnace filters and water filters yeah. a good thing to have on hand yep. and uh yep. finally um you know, it's going to be kind of the same plastic sheeting, duct tape, but uh, supplies to set up kind of a wash station or decontamination station. Like we said, if you if you are exposed to contamination, the best thing to do is get those clothes off of you and, and do a complete body wash down. So um, kind of a quarantined area where you can rinse yourself off and do that. And tune in next week when we discuss how to do that for uh, for pandemics. Yep. <laughs> I'm wondering, though, um, something uh, you know, I know we've talked about on the show a few, few times, like the, um, the live straw. Um, would yep. something like that be effective in removing um, radioactive contaminants from a water source? Probably to what micron I, that they filter? I wouldn't think so. I doubt okay. it. Yeah, That's it's just it's just it's yeah. I think it's I think these are these are really good questions to ask ourselves. Yeah. Like, I replaced the HEPA filter in my house here, and I was reading while you guys were talking that um, they do say that it can filter out, like it can mechanically filter out certain types of radioactive particles um, down to 0.3 microns, but it's not the most effective way to do it. So is it bad to have? No. Is it going to be effective? Probably not 100%, obviously, right? So my yeah. second question was, how would you filter water if, um, like to your point, uh, Alan, if you're downstream from a nuclear event, right? Are you going to use like a, a Berkeley filter? Are you going to use like a live straw or, or what? Well, you, you pro the, the reality is you probably can't. Uh, and I don't know the answer to that question, but the, the, the most realistic answer is that you're going to have to wait for that contaminated water to pass through its natural life um, and then take it from the cleanest source upstream afterwards. Right. I was reading too that um, like I've got a well that's 240 feet deep, so that well, uh, from what I'm reading, would should be sufficient to filter out um, yeah. anything. Yeah. Anything I think so. it should, it should be. Yep, yeah. because you've yeah. got it's the uh, everything that I've read is told has, has said that you you're like 10 feet of 10 feet of earth should be enough. Um, now that said, the deep bunker is what 160 feet underground. Uh, so who knows? I mean, CFB North Bay is down in the middle of a mountain. So that's uh, 
Um, for you, Tyler, the, the Diefenbunker and, and CFB North Bay. CFB is Canadian Forces Base, and North Bay is where they take the uh, they take the, the members of Parliament uh, in the event of a nuclear strike. Uh, okay. it's, it's, it's close enough close enough to the capital that they can put them they can put people there. It's uh, it's a pretty cool place. You drive basically drive into the side of a mountain and down mm-hmm. and down and down and down and then you're you know five or six layers underground after that. And, it's like Cheyenne Mountain, basically. Uh, yeah, it's like Cheyenne Mountain. It's it's uh it's a pretty it's a pretty cool place, but it's deep underground. So, uh, nice. it's there there are like there are definitely plans in place for that, um, but they're not uh, they're not as predominant as they are in the U.S. And I, I know there's still there's still fallout shelters kicking around, and if you look in the right places, you can you can find them in in city centers, but. Uh, it's not it's no nowhere near as big a thing here as, as it was there mm-hmm. that's the first house that i had which was built in about 1955 the first house i owned had a had a fallout shelter and it had oh, cool. concrete walls and cool. a really really small door and no other purpose for that room so mm-hmm. huh. Neat. i've got a question here in the live chat from uh, mohammed again uh just uh, inquiring about do we have any ideas for uh do-it-yourself masks so i guess if you don't have something already and uh, a follow it occurs. Is there anything do it yourself wise that we can come up with? Anything is better than nothing, right? Yeah. Bandana. Cases, a bandana, a bandana would do it. Uh, anything that's charcoal filtered would be better than would, would yeah. kind of be your next step up. Um, but I would say if you live if you live within the fallout zone of a nuclear plant, then don't do it yourself and yeah, you know, yeah. Find, go find the. Yeah, if you're in that area, agencies in Canada and the U.S. have um, have all that information readily available. It's not a secret. Uh, they don't they don't want you to not be prepared for it. Uh, as much as they don't want you to panic about it, they want you to be prepared for the worst. Um, so go go look go look them up. And I know if you if you go to Bruce Nuclear's website, yeah. they've got what to do in the event of an emergency and. Um, those places will tell you what to do, but you have to definitely be prepared for it because DIY yeah. kind of sucks. Um, yeah, if you're within the range of the the plants, or you're within an area where you're kind of concerned about it, then now's the time to kind of start adding that stuff to your list and and have some something yeah. in your in your preparedness kit just in case. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But so good so question too. If if you happen to run across, you're you're in an area that you don't normally frequent, and something happens, and maybe you are stuck doing a DIY thing, so. It's yep. always good to have that uh, that view is what you could do just in case, right? Yep. Exactly. Uh, panel, have anything else to uh, to add, or you think we've covered everything off? Um, I think we've covered all the basics, anyways. Uh, I think so yeah. yeah, mostly mostly be informed and and you know be aware of how um, how you will be alerted to the fact that there is a, a nuclear emergency yep. um, and. You know, don't rely on, don't rely on any one source. Yeah, and just remember the KI pills are nice, but they are not the solve all, make you invincible uh, type of pill that some people think they are. But uh, yeah. definitely something good to have in the kit for uh, if things do happen. But just remember, don't pop them and go out and run around as if the day is normal because it's not. <laughs> yep. All right. With that, let's uh, move into the podcast challenge then. So for that, we've got, uh, if you're in the zone, uh, ask for KI pills. That's another thing we should mention. If you are within that certain radius of a nuclear facility, um, you can um, request the uh, 
the KI pills and they will send them to you free of charge. So if you are within that, uh, I believe it's a 10 kilometer radius, or maybe it's a 15 kilometer radius, whatever it is, um, throw, a, throw in a request and they will provide them free. Uh, if not, there's multiple places that you can find them as well. Uh, and but sorry, Eric, in, who would uh, provide that? Is that like the provincial uh, state authority, or I believe it's provincial that uh, provides it. Yeah. Got it. Or maybe it, it might be a federal thing for for cost. I'm not sure exactly where it would fall, but um, it, for Ontario, for example, it would be like Bruce Nuclear would uh, would know where you can get them from. Uh, yeah, they, so far, they, they they operate most of the plants, as far as I know. Uh, there was I don't know if it's still the case, but all the um, near near Bruce Nuclear, there was there are. I don't know, half a dozen pharmacies within kind of the range and they all stocked them and they were free for the taking. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the case. There might be a little bit more regulation to it now, but that was, that's how it used to be anyways. Yeah. So there you go. So figure out, uh, figure out if you're in the zone, uh, ask for the KI pills, uh, plan an escape route uh, away, not downwind from prevailing upper winds and uh, consider the use of alternate back roads and caches uh, because uh, if it's real, you're not coming back. Yep keep that in mind so um that if you you get a plan put together you do figure out uh, exactly how to uh to request the ki pills or you, you figure out um an email address or, or someone you can call or or how to get them flip an email into feedback at pepperpodcast.ca and we'll let uh, everybody else know as well and we'll move into uh, episode closing and upcoming events yeah, so first thing, we've got the Podcaster Charity Shoot. It's hosted by Slamfire Radio, and that's going to be July 4th, 2020. That's in Balmoral, New Brunswick. And somebody maybe want to help me with the gun club name. <laughs> yeah, Rest the Goosh Gun Club. Rest the Goosh Gun Club. Yeah. There we go. It's a, it's a, very, fr- it's a very French name. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. My, my Franklish is terrible. <laughs> Mine as well. <laughs> Okay, so we've got the uh, annual preppers meet coming up. It's the second week of July in Desborough, Ontario. So uh, make sure to check that out. It's always a good time. Usually runs uh, Thursday through the Sunday. I don't know if they're doing that again this year, but uh, either way, even if it is just the, the Friday or the Sunday, it's uh, it's a good weekend of camping with a whole bunch of like-minded individuals and a whole bunch of instructors teaching all kinds of great courses and great kinds of skills. So it's uh, it's always a good time to come out to. Um, and once we get uh, once they get the website up, we'll make sure to get the website out uh, so everybody can check it out and start buying their tickets because it's an event that fills up quickly and you don't want to miss it. So again, that's uh, the second week of July, and we've got uh, emergency preparedness week coming up uh, May third to ninth. So uh, remember that one. We'll have we'll we'll be talking about that, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And then later on in the year, TACCOM Canada 2020, September 11th to 13th this year. Uh, Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance. All your favorite podcasters and us will be on hand throughout the show. So make sure you stop by the booth, meet your favorite personalities, pick up some swag. Or drop by while we do our special live broadcast. We'll be talking to event organizers, guest speakers, and vendors all about their new products and everything they have to offer. You can see details for that at www.tacomcanada.com. That's a lot of C's in there, so don't miss any. Stay tuned for ticket release dates. Great. And uh, Transport Canada Guru has got the uh, the link here for that nuke map, so I'll throw it in the show notes. But anybody listening, it's uh, nuclearsecrecy.com slash nuke map. So I'll, uh, I'll throw that in the, uh, the show notes. And we'll move in the shout outs. Uh, anybody got shout outs in the panel for this evening? Silence, crickets. crickets. No crickets. shout outs. <laughs> That's all right. You know, uh, if you want us to shout you out, you got to talk to us. So it's true. 
who who is in there? Um, Trout. Uh, who are the people that have commented tonight? Uh, so we've got Mohammed and we've got uh, Transport Canada Guru for oh, comments. Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate yeah. it. Really appreciate the questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for making the show interactive because that uh, that makes it fun. It's uh, we could sit here and chat and be uh, talking heads all all episode, but having some live interaction makes it so much better. Yep, definitely kind of helps facilitate some discussion. That's for absolutely sure. it does. <clears throat> and so we've got uh, an email here from Better Andrew. It just says, uh, "Hey guys, uh, just listened to the apocalyptic hooch episode. Late, I know." Uh, and just wanted to let you know that uh, I finally made a batch of mead. Uh, I got a pre-made kit for Christmas and finally got some time to uh, start brewing. Uh, it's a lot easier than you'd believe. Uh, ask me again in a few months when I actually try it. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Yep. Uh, it's my first time uh, trying to do any of this. And I think I might be hooked. Uh, I might not be able to wait for it to be finished before I start making a second batch. Uh, definitely recommend people start with, start with it uh, if they don't mind the long wait. Uh, because like wine, it keeps getting better with age and uh, keep up the great work. And again, that's from a uh, better Andrew. So better so, Andrew, my advice to you is that two is one and one is none. If you've got one of the, yep. if you've got one in the hopper, get another one on the way. Absolutely. Now, what else do we have? So we've got, as far as iTunes reviews go, we are sitting at uh, 43, five stars. We've got uh, three, four stars two uh three stars and we've still got that one little guy the one star so we'll take it the uh reviews are are starting to come in so that's good yeah and we've got one uh, one new written review here from uh canadian pawn broker uh it says great shows i really wish the audio was better it was uh pretty good with just two guys but now with a few more it's very hard to listen to uh, let's move my screen here. Touch. Uh, always turning the volume up and down depending on who is talking. Um, so we've tried to make. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, emails in now in regards to the audio. So uh, we actually met a little bit earlier before this episode and tried to get some audio things sorted out. And uh, hopefully it's a little bit clearer for everybody uh, going forward. So please uh, keep sending the reviews in. If the audio is not great, let us know, and uh, we will certainly try to. Uh, to hop on it but uh we think we've got a quite a bit of it tweaked out for this episode so i think so, i was the issue last week so i got a new headset to replace the new headset i got last week so oh i i was definitely <laughs> contributing back there and i apologize it was uh it was not our not our best showing but uh, yeah definitely definitely let us know again um if we've done any better and hopefully the answer is yes and hopefully we can yeah. keep improving so that's how we get better is by listening to listen to the, the the folks out there so you listen to us we listen to you it's a uh, it's a good working relationship. Yeah, that's yeah, good, and we're all uh, we're all new to this too, so we're learning all the audio stuff. I don't think any of us on the panel are uh, audio techs at all. So uh, as we go along, we're learning little tips and tricks on uh, how to make things a little bit better. And I'm learning how to do some post editing as we go along. So it's uh, it's only going to get better from here. Mm-hmm. And with uh, with that, I'll bring episode number fifty two of uh, the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes to submit a review. Uh, it helps other people find us. And you can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca. And uh, we're streaming on Facebook now. We do record these shows on Facebook and YouTube, both at the same time. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. It gives you alerts when we're going live. You can also find us on the Facebook page, Canadian Prepper Podcast. 
Uh, to contact me directly, find me at, in, on Instagram at PPSWO. And I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com. And I also have my own YouTube channel. Just search for hfxprepper on YouTube. And if you've got any questions or advice for me, uh, email into the show at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. My advice to you, Tyler, is to get your own email address. I'm working on it. It'll be soon. <laughs> i got to think of a name. <laughs> I can give you Tyler at prepperpodcast.ca. <laughs> everybody can have one <laughs> get unlimited email addresses so <laughs> so uh, please check out rapid survival that's a rapid survival.com you can get me there on the live chat while you're buying some prepper gear thanks for joining us and you can tune in next episode we're going to be talking about uh, the pandemic realities bum, bum, bum. So, yeah it's going to be a good one so uh, until next time uh, be prepared stay safe and keep learning <laughs> <laughs>